Um, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Um, as you're turning there, don't forget, usually during our midweek time, we spend some time in wherever we are reading in our Bible reading plan, which happens to be right now the Gospel of John. Uh, but as you might be thinking right now, uh, we are covering the Gospel of John verse by verse on Sunday mornings. And so uh, I didn't want to duplicate that by also talking about it on Wednesday nights. And so we've kind of taken a little bit of a detour from our normal uh, midweek Bible study time. And instead, we've decided to study through the entire letter of 2 Timothy. And so in case uh, you've missed any recently or just uh, haven't been here or it's your first time or your first time in a long time, let me just give you a few updates about what has happened so far in uh, the letter of 2 Timothy. The first week that we met together, uh, we talked about how our identity in Christ is or should be controlled by our identity in Christ. So I, I may have said those the same way, so let me say it again. We talked about how our identity in culture, thank you, let's change that, should be or is controlled by our identity in Christ. In other words, we should never hide who we are in Jesus or be ashamed of the life that he has called us to live as Christians. Instead, our life in Christ should be uh, be. be pushing, be uh, uh, encouraging, should be changing uh, our identity and culture. We should be sharing Christ with the world. Then we talked about how each of us are responsible to serve God. In fact, the real question behind that thought for, for Paul to Timothy is really this. If we don't serve Jesus, and by we I mean those who love him and have surrendered their life to him, if we don't serve Jesus, who will? Of course, we know the answer. We're responsible. If we don't do what we're responsible for, the ball gets dropped and things get messy. We're responsible to serve Jesus. And so if we don't, what will happen? It will get forsaken, and we don't want that to take place. And then last week, we talked about the importance of deciding to live as God wants us to live. In fact, we had a little phrase last week. It was, if we want to change the direction our lives are headed, we must change the decisions that we're making, right? And big directions are changed by small everyday decisions to walk after Jesus, to live for him, and to serve him. So that's what we want to do. We want to choose to live for Jesus. And so anyway, in, in the beginning of 2 Timothy Paul has really been pouring out some challenges on this young pastor by the name of Timothy. But as we move into chapter 3, Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit from the challenging mode to what I like to think of as the warning mode. Paul is about to issue some warnings for Timothy that are not just good and valuable for him, but they are certainly good and valuable for us. In fact, I thought about this simple question, have you ever been warned about some Something that was monumental. Anybody? Like there was something coming or something was going to happen, but because of a warning, it spared your life. That's a little dramatic, uh, maybe. But uh, warnings and their importance, have you ever been warned about something that was that kind of impactful? Now, when I thought about warnings, I really thought about my kids. As a matter of fact, I really thought about teachers. And I thought to myself, how many teachers have heard, like, the upcoming year, oh, I tell you, you better hope you don't get Josiah Boudreaux. <laughs> Whew. 
That will be a tough one. But it, it really, I, I thought about teachers because I thought about my own kids, right? Like all the numerous things that I've warned them of, not just over the years, but like today, right? Like things that are simple, like don't jump on the couch. Don't uh, run around the pool. Don't put all that food in your mouth at one time. Don't stand up in your chair. Like I thought about all the different warnings that I've given my own children as I thought about how important warnings are for our life. As a matter of fact, I came across a few interesting warning signs that are in our world. Here was the first one. No humans on the beach. I don't know what happens if a human goes on the beach, but this was a warning for all of us in this room, or at least most of us. I came across this one. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. Also, in case you can't read it at the bottom, the bridge is out ahead. So it seems like that might have been more important, but they really didn't want you to cut yourself on the sign. $299 fine for tracking mud and debris on city streets. How dare you get our city streets dirty? You will be fined for that. I don't know where this came from or any of these by any means. I just thought this one was interesting. Watch out. It's air, airplane crossing. You might get... <laughs> run over by an airplane, I guess. I don't even know if that fits in, in the context together. Danger. Do not touch. Not only will this kill you, it will hurt the whole time you're dying. <laughs> so don't. Uh, whatever it is that you're not supposed to touch, uh, don't, uh, don't do it. How about this one? Danger. Do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. Some of these seem pretty, uh, like, like you don't need them, right? But, but really, aren't we glad there are warnings? Because honestly, there is nothing you can put past us, right? Like we will probably try it or do it or uh, possibly not think about it. How about this one? Warning, limbs may fall. Be careful. If you're standing under a tree, there is danger uh, ahead. This was an interesting one to me. If you have to be told not to breathe underwater, um, that's, it's going to be a little tough, right? This one might be my favorite. Birds poop every 15 minutes. So how long have you been standing here? All right? Danger. All right? A little, a little warning for everybody. Now, I made this one last because I got a few things I want to say, and I just wanted you to stare at this uh, for a moment until uh, we switch them. Now, listen, war warnings are normal. In fact, they're not just normal. Warnings are, they're good. We need warnings, right, to protect us. Sometimes, though they may seem unnecessary, some of us, more than others, still need the warning. Now, you say, Danny, why are you bringing all this up? We'll go ahead and skip to the first one so you don't have to look at the poop sign anymore. The reason why I bring this up is because warnings are not just good on signs or what we may tell our kids or stuff that we want to help people with. God, in fact, issues tons of warnings to us for the same reason that we warn our kids, right? He wants, to, he wants us to know that there are some things that are a danger to us that can hurt us. He wants ultimately to protect us. That's why he issues warnings for us. I read a couple that I thought were interesting in scripture just to kind of show you the heart of God. This is from Psalm 34, 16. It says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. I think about that if you're an evildoer. The face of the Lord is against you. And it's not just against you. He will cut off the memory of you from the earth. This from Psalm 
Psalm 146.3, put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. This is Ephesians 5.6, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Like scripture is filled with various warnings as God wants to help us, not hurt us. He wants to protect us and provide for us. Well, Paul at this point in the letter to 2 Timothy has brought him through several aspects of what it was going to take, what it was going to cost from his life to stand firm for Jesus. Don't forget, Paul's on his last days. He's doing his best to leave his buddy Timothy ready and prepared to continue to further the gospel of Christ. There was certainly a reality to the stand that Timothy was taking. It was not going to be easy. The devil wasn't going to just get out of the way so that Timothy could win the world to Christ. And by the way, neither will he get out of our way as we try to stand firm for the Lord and win the world to Christ. In fact, there will be some clear opposition to the name of Jesus and those who represent that name. Paul couldn't forget in this writing, his final one, he could not forget to warn Timothy of the days ahead, what he will actually call the last Days. Now, Paul didn't know when they would take place, and neither do any of us. In fact, Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 24. So because he doesn't know, he wanted to make sure, in case it was during Timothy's life, that he would be ready. And so Paul issues some warnings to Timothy. As a matter of fact, I want to read them. They start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1. Let me just give you a, a broad picture of the, of the warnings of Paul uh, to Timothy. As a matter of fact, my Bible has a little heading there. It says, Godlessness in the last days. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, Obedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now look at this charge here, avoid such people, but it's not done. You ready? He goes on in verse six, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Wow. That sounds dark, doesn't it? He goes on, he gives us an example. He says, just as Janies and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, this is an interesting warning that we get from the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, it's extremely heavy, and in there we find a couple of warning signs for us today. You see the first one, warning sign number one, there will be difficulty in the last days. Now, we just read this in its entirety, and I think you would agree with me. Difficulty may be an understatement. Agreed? It is going to get pretty heavy in the last days. That's why Paul wrote in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty 
Now, I want to help wrap your mind around this a little bit. What are the last days? What is it that Paul's talking about as he writes these words to Timothy? Well, honestly, Jesus himself expounds upon what the last days are, what Paul is referring to in this moment. I want to read you some of it. Listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 24. You ready? As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, they've come to Jesus to ask him a question, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They want to know about the last days. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now listen, this is just a snippet of what Jesus talks about when he describes the last days. Now, I don't know if you picked up on the same thing that I did when I'm hearing the words of Jesus, but it certainly sounds like there will be difficulty in the last days. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little progression. This is a very scaled back progression of the last days. Here's some of the things that will take place. The rapture will happen, friends. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the word rapture never appears in the Bible, yet its understanding absolutely does. The rapture will one day take place. Let me describe it to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. Listen to these words. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. This is beautiful. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now listen to this. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now listen to this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Listen to this. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Friends, there will be difficulty in the last days. As it gets worse, the rapture will happen and the Lord will bring to him all who belong to his name. Then this will happen. The Holy Spirit will be removed and the Antichrist will come. This is where the days will truly get dark. Now listen, I know days are dark now and as a matter of fact, we're going to read more about that in the warnings from Paul to Timothy but one day the days will really get dark because friends, right now we still have the power of the Holy Spirit holding back the darkest forces that we have ever known, but there will come a day when God will draw the Spirit back. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, listen to this from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? I swear it gets scary. And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is... By the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that they may be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know what's happening here? The Holy Spirit who's been restraining the evil that is going to take place on this world has now been removed. And there is no awakening of hearts. There is no awakening of souls. There is only death and destruction led by the lawless one himself. Paul says there will be difficulties in the last days. Listen, I don't think Paul's writing this to make Timothy afraid. Neither am I talking to you about it tonight for the sake of fear or for you to be afraid. This is truth, and it will one day happen. Paul wants Timothy. He wants us to be ready. So he's warning us of the difficulty ahead. But friends, there is good news. Hallelujah, right? After this takes place, Jesus will in fact return and what will he do he will defeat the devil himself and what will he do he will usher in a new world a new heaven and a new earth and praise God we have the opportunity to stand on the lines of victory listen to this from Revelation 19 
Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Listen to this. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Here it is. Listen to me, friends. King of kings and Lord of lords. Now watch it. It's not over. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who in, in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Friends, this is the victory we get to see in Jesus. Regardless of how scary all this may seem, it is true. It will happen, and we have victory in Jesus. Listen to this from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, Brothers, beloved by the Lord, listen to this, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Did you catch this? That you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, you, there, there's plenty more to talk about when it comes to the difficulty of the last days. As a matter of fact, you may have a different timeline of when you think these events will happen or if people will be saved or not saved, but here's what we can all agree on. These events will happen. There will be difficult days ahead, and Paul warns Timothy about the destruction that is to come. They say, Danny, why are you telling us about all this when it comes to a warning sign? I can't stress this enough. Are you ready? If you're in this room tonight and you don't know Jesus and he comes back right now, you, my friend, will stand in opposition to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen to me. Your friends, your co-workers, your family members, you don't know if Jesus is coming back tonight. Do you know what happens if they don't know him? They stand in opposition to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, forever separated from him in a place called hell. Friends, what are you waiting for to share with them the truth about Jesus? Can, can you think of anything more important than that? Certainly Paul's warning Timothy for the difficulty ahead, but could he also be motivating him to continue to spread the gospel even when it's difficult? Because listen, friends, ears will still listen today. They may not tomorrow. 
there will be difficulty in the, in the last days. Let me show you warning sign number two. The church will become ungodly. You may say, Danny, we're already seeing this. I agree. But I just want you to think about some of the words. Matter of fact, on your, on your outline tonight, I, I didn't even have spaces to put all this. So I just put some emptiness in case something in particular is convicted in your own heart as we look at what exactly Paul's talking about with the ungodliness of the church. He goes through a series of different things that will take place as the end draws near. He describes what people will be like as life progresses forward. And he describes how much power the devil will have even even within the church. You say, Danny, why, why are you saying these are within the church? Well, because of verse number five. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. There is an understanding from this text that Paul's referring first to those in the church, and then he's going to talk about those outside the church. So the first warning sign within these two is that the church will become ungodly. Now just look at it. Verse two, we're going to work our way down. I'll go as fast as I can. You ready? He gives tons of descriptions of the ungodliness within the church. Lovers of self. People will become selfish. They will be consumed with themselves. Lovers of money. They will be caught up in making money over serving God. Getting swept up in what we might call or have come to know the American dream. Even inside the church, people will become materialistic. More concerned about money and possessions than they are about a relationship with Jesus. Just think about the debt that's sweeping across our country. They will become lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. They will be arrogant, the notion that I'm better than others, that I don't need anyone else, that I'm all that matters. This links back to the very phrase, lovers of self. Abusive. This is a very fascinating word. It refers to abusive language directly to God. As a matter of fact, the Greek word is a transliteration for us in English. You know what it is? Letter for letter. Blasphemy. It's what it is. He's talking about slanderous words toward God. By the way, can I tell you something? The same word is used in Revelation 13 as a trait that will characterize the Antichrist. You're telling me there's people in the church that will be described like the Antichrist? Yes, friends. That's the ungodliness that will become of God's bride. Disobedient to their parents. It's an interesting little side note in there, right? You mean these people are wicked, horrible people, and they disobey their parents. Wow, right? They're killing people and dishonoring their father and mother. I hate to tear down this current generation, especially because here's the truth. I believe they're doing some really, really good things. But I want you to hear this. We're producing. Now listen, don't miss that, by the way. As you think negatively about the next generation, can I just remind you of something? You came before them, all right? They are walking in our footsteps. So when we bash them, just remember, we're producing a generation that thinks they need no guidance, a generation that has been raised by television and the internet, a generation exposed to way too many things. Danny, who's responsible? I hate to point the finger at us, but someone had to help them get there. 
ungrateful. It's the next word that Paul uses. People aren't thankful to God. And well beyond that, most people are ungrateful in everything. Nothing is ever good enough. We always want more and more and more. Unholy. Things that used to be horrible are now accepted as norms. Things that were once pornography are now proclaimed as art. He keeps going. Verse 3. Heartless. Think about it. Abortions. Abandonments. Murders. No more sanctity even for human life. Unappeasable. Think about this word. The idea is that people within the church will become unsatisfiable. Nothing will ever satisfy their hunger for sin and evil. You want to know somebody who was described as unappeasable? Hitler was. You say, Danny, what was he unappeasable about? Nothing could satisfy his hatred of the Jews. He could never kill enough. He could never be satisfied. And that's what happens to the ungodliness in the church. Nothing can satisfy people as they want more and more and more. Slanderous. This word in Greek is the word diabolus. You want to know what that is in English? Devil. That's what it is. You know what he's saying? They will become devilish without self-control. No one cares about sin anymore. People do whatever they want, whenever they want. There are no boundaries. Things that we once only did in secret are now done openly and proudly. Brutal is the next word he uses. This plays on the word heartless that he's already talked about. This is terrorist acts and the brutality of people against other people. Gangs and other organized crimes showing the world their lack of care for law and discipline and love. Not loving good. It's almost like he ran out of negative things to say by this point in time. He's like, hey, listen, all these bad things not loving good. That's the ungodliness of the church. People are hated oftentimes who are good doers. Some call them goody goodies. You might have had some kind of, uh, you know, description of your own life like that. They're persecuted for their good deeds. They don't love good. He goes on. I wish it was over. Look at verse 4. Treacherous. The word means to betray. The ideas of those inside the church who claim Jesus but have betrayed him in their faithlessness. They betray truth and are untrustworthy. This is the idea of Judas who walked with Jesus yet turned his back on him. Reckless. Reckless living can be summed up by our drug and alcohol consumption. Bars and clubs have become a popular lifestyle. All the while people are wasting away their lives in reckless living. The busiest places we have in our communities aren't churches anymore. It's liquor and tobacco stores. Swollen with conceit. Once again, satisfying, uh, signifying the strong growth of selfishness. People are only worried about themselves and their own welfare. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. People would rather satisfy some sort of pleasure than worship the God and creator of the universe. Just think about how much Sundays have become a day of sports and entertainment rather than God. Or more about going to the lake than meeting with Jesus. We've become involved in so many pleasures that it's hard to have time for God. Look at verse 5. He goes, on having the appearance of godliness but denying its power this is a reference to hypocrisy this is the picture of our religious societies that actually have no relationship with Jesus friends how many churches are going through the motions but without the power of God how many people are going through the motions without the power of God at work in their lives as a matter of fact I heard someone recently say it's amazing how much work churches can do on behalf half of God without ever inviting him to be a part of it. What a scary day we live in. Look at what he says at the end of this warning. Avoid such people. 
Listen, Paul couldn't be more clear to Timothy, to us, avoid these types of people. But can I issue you a question? Okay, Danny, the church will become ungodly. I want to avoid that. I got you. Well, listen to this. Have we become those people? Like, let that settle for a moment. Have we become these people? Do we need to see which side we're actually on. Now, maybe you're thinking, Danny, this is a depressing list of sinfulness. Why spend so much time talking through these words? It's simple, friend. You ready? We need to look into our own lives and examine our relationship with God. Do I have any of these traits in me? If so, if you say, yes, I have some of this, I'm a part of the ungodliness that will become of the church. If that's true, friends, repent. Ask God to forgive you and beg his spirit to transform you. Repent. We need it in the church. You know what's interesting? How can we ever dare seek repentance outside the church when God's own people don't? It's a little hard to ask people to do what we're unwilling to do ourselves, amen? Maybe this is a description for us to wrestle with tonight. Let me hurry up. Warning sign number three. The world will become ugly. You say, Danny, we're already there. Oh, friend, it gets worse. We just read about how terrible... The church will become the ungodliness that will swarm God's own people. However, Paul takes it even further. Look at verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Now just let that settle for a moment. Let your, let your mind run wild for a second. How disturbing, how treacherous, how terrible to think of what this verse actually means. People in our world who take advantage of one another, whether it be through horrible atrocities like rape or kidnapping or sex slavery, the world will get ugly, friends. And listen to me, it already has. The word for creep carries with it the idea of being in stealth mode, undetectable by those around you. It literally means to slip in unnoticed. This is just like the devil. He's subtle in his approaches to get us off track. He oftentimes tricks us into thinking we're not even doing anything wrong or that we're not even going in a wrong direction. He is cunning. He is crafty. And when it comes to getting us to sin, he is as fierce as a lion. Listen, friends, eventually... We'll be lost in a world of sin before we even know anything is happening. Burdened. Look at this. He goes on in verse 6. Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. You know what's most fascinating about the tools of the devil? He doesn't even have to work that hard. All of us have a sin nature within us. It's not hard to get someone to do something that they naturally want to do. Say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, I read a story this week. It was really interesting. It was about these two advisors of a certain king who were, were really wearying their, their monarch out by their continual arguments as to whether or not a person had, had to be born a gentleman or whether a person uh, could become a gentleman by training. And so the monarch, the king at this point, had gotten so crazy about this, he pitched an idea to these particular guys. He gave them a year to go out into the world and to prove their different sides of the argument. You've got one year to go find the born a gentleman or the become a gentleman. Bring your examples back and we'll see exactly who's right. And so the year passed and the advisor who said that one could become a gentleman or yeah, had, could become a gentleman had traveled a long way. He had been out in a distant land and he had still not found his proof. But one day 
As he was sad, sitting gloomily in a wayside inn, he sat up with astonishment. He had ordered a cup of chocolate, and to his amazement, he saw that it was being brought to him by the innkeeper's cat. But listen, this was no ordinary cat. This cat had been trained to stand up on its hind legs. It had been dressed in a tiny uniform, and it had learned to balance a tray on its forepaws. I don't even know what that means. He watched spellbound as the creature, contrary to nature, walked slowly toward him, balancing the tray with his cup of chocolate. And he saw the implications at once. If a cat could be trained to do a thing like that, why couldn't a man be drilled into becoming a gentleman? It proved his point. And so he took all the money that he had and he secured the astonishing cat and headed for home. News of the cat leaked out, and the advisor's rival, the one who thought, you can't become a gentleman, you've got to be born a gentleman, he plunged into despair. He too had traveled far, but was returning home empty-handed. He was sure that he had lost, but then, just a day or two before the scheduled appearance in court, he saw something in a shop window that brought a smile to his lips, and so he made a purchase, but kept it well hidden from view. Then the day came, the day of trial, the first man presented the cat to the king as proof that a person could be so trained that he could overcome all natural handicaps and become the most accomplished of civilized persons. He could become a gentleman. As the king sat on his throne, the remarkable cat attired in miniature court dress, walked carefully on its hind legs, made its way slowly down a red carpet, carrying a tray of chocolate to the king. The court broke into applause. Everyone looked with admiration at the cat and with pity at the other advisor, the one who said one must be born a gentleman. But the man was ready, the other advisor, that is. With a bow to the king, he opened the box in which had his proof. This advisor released half a dozen white mice, and instantly the cat forgot its training and education, its discipline and ingrained habit. Its natural instinct surfaced, and in a flash, off it went after the scampering mice. The discussion was settled once and for all. The cat returned, purring loudly several hours later, its courtly attire rather disheveled. Man in sin is still man in sin, a prey to the fallen instincts of sin, which given the appropriate time, place, circumstance, and opportunity will override the veneer with which religion, culture, education, and moral conscience overlay the old, fallen, sinful nature. You say, Danny, why you tell us that story? Because the devil doesn't even have to try too hard to get us to sin. We are, friends, prone to wonder. We are prone to leave the one we love. No amount of education can do what only the Spirit of God can cleanse in our lives. Friends, listen to me. The church will become ungodly. The world will become ugly. Look at this last warning sign. Learn from other people's mistakes so that you don't make your own. I hate when I hear somebody say, well, you know, you just some things you got to experience yourself. No, friend, there, there's enough bad stories and bad examples out there that maybe it's finally time for us to start learning from some other people's mistakes. This is why Paul leaves Timothy with the example of Janus and Jambres who opposed Moses. Look at it. He said, so these men, verse 8, also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, all as was that of those two men. Listen, it's believed, by the way, <clears throat> it's believed that Janus and Jambres were the names of the Egyptian, uh, Egyptian magicians who deceived Pharaoh and opposed Moses of God and God. Anybody saw the prince of Egypt? You remember those goofy fellows, don't you? That's 
who they're talking about here. Jewish tradition holds that they pretended to convert to Judaism in order to subvert Moses' divine assignment to liberate Israel uh, from Egypt. Jewish tradition also holds that they led in making and worshiping the golden calf while Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law from God. Now listen, this isn't proven, but it fits they were examples of what people will be like in the last days. We don't have to follow down those same roads to learn those same lessons. We can just learn from other people's mistakes so that we don't make them. They were exposed as the frauds that they were, and so will all such frauds be exposed. So what? I leave you with a few thoughts there at the bottom of your outline. Just some thoughts for you to wrestle with, with God and these warnings from Paul to Timothy. Listen, maybe you think this is bad, but you will never be a part of this. Or maybe you think that this is just some scripture that was written a long time ago that doesn't really matter. Well, whether you believe it or not, this is the world in which we live in. We're surrounded by people and culture that wants us to do anything but follow God. So ask yourself a few questions tonight. Do you realize the last days are nearing? Do you know Jesus or do you have people in your life that, need, that you need to tell about him. Do you find that some of the traits and the people Paul warns Timothy to stay away from are also in your own life? Confess and repent. Look at this one. Do you surround your life with the types of ugliness that is so quickly embraced by our culture? If so, what are some things you need to start to avoid? Listen, Timothy had to continue to share the gospel with the world. These people were the best chance at stopping him. Let that settle in. It wasn't his fear. It wasn't, uh, you know, poor health. It wasn't financial situations. You know what it was? It was difficult, challenging people. They were the best chance at stopping him from spreading the gospel to the world. Can I just remind you of something? They're still the best chance, not of stopping Timothy, but of stopping us. We must do, as Paul warns Timothy, avoid such people. Avoid these people and these sins. We must continue to stand for Jesus as the last days draw near. Friend, these warnings are real. How long will we have to read them or hear them? How long will we have to think about them before we decide that we will heed their message, we will listen to the wisdom, and we will follow after the one who died for it all? Think about it. He hung on the cross for this wretchedness. And every time we choose it, it's as if we put him back up there. Why? Last days are coming. They're going to be hard. Are you following Jesus?